0: Welcome back to the National Treasure Hunt podcast, where the secret lies not only with Charlotte, but also with your co-hosts. My name is Aubrey.
1: And I'm Emily.
0: And we're back with another interesting episode for you all today. It's something different than we've done in the past, what, four episodes so far, and I think that's why we're excited to be bringing it to you Today. So so we're going to be taking a look at how National Treasure is being used in the classroom.
1: Yes, indeed we are. Now, Aubrey, I have a question for you. Okay. Did you ever watch National Treasure in your class?
0: Oh, um, I don't think that I did. I can think of several classes I had probably in middle school where it might have fit. But, mm-hmm. but no, I, I never did. And I'm a little sad about it. What about you?
1: I didn't, but I know I would have thoroughly enjoyed it.
0: Seriously, especially because what when two thousand four when the first film came out, we would have been in like sixth fifth, sixth grade, maybe?
1: Yeah, so, so maybe we missed maybe we missed it by like a year or two by the time that the DVD true, came because out.
0: Not everything was just available immediately like it is today. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that we definitely missed out, but I was really excited to learn that a lot of students have been shown National Treasure 1 and 2 in their classrooms, and that is what we're going to talk about today. So before we get into the weeds of today's episode, just a quick reminder about where you can find us online. Em?
1: You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at nthuntpodcast, and you can also find all of our podcast episodes on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, honestly, wherever you get your podcasts. Go ahead and hit us up on any or all of those platforms. Tell us what you like about us. Hopefully that's all you have. Hopefully you don't have any dislikes, but feel free to share them as well. Go ahead and follow us so that you uh, keep up to date with everything we have going on. And don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes.
0: Excellent. Thank you for that, M. So to kick us off here, I just want to call back to something that we've definitely pointed out in a couple past episodes at this point that I think is really funny when we talk about the subject of today's episode, use of these films in the classroom. And that's the fact that many of the actors from this film have joked in various interviews that they really hope kids aren't learning history from their movies. (laughs) But, you know, as we debunked previously, there is a lot of true historical inspiration here. While the story is fictional, we are based on more truth than apparently even the actors realized. And the other point that we've definitely mentioned before but is worth mentioning again in this context is the fact that, you know, history lesson or not, these films have historically – I feel like historically is a weird word here – but these films have historically increased interest in American history, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it definitely increased my interest in our national history and i think we mentioned this maybe in our last episode or the episode before i'm not sure but both films actually resulted in there being an increase in the number of visitors at the national archives however you'll also be interested to know that the movie actually gets mentioned on a tour of the library of congress so that's a cool little thing i think that it gets thrown in there for people who aren't even necessarily visiting the Library of Congress to do, as we would call it, a national treasure hunt, right? Mm. They're just going to see the Library of Congress, but national treasures actually mention on that tour. And then further, you can actually take an additional supplementary tour at Mount Vernon to learn about how they filmed national treasure there, which I think is super cool. And when we go to Mount Vernon, we definitely need to be doing that, Aubrey.
0: It's been on my list since I moved here, honestly. I got so giddy when I found this tour. and Mount I. Vernon in D.C. It's it's like outside of D.C. It's okay. actually really close to where I live, so... Oh, perfect. Incentive Once for again, you to come again, prime
1: visit. living location. Yeah.
0: Exactly. So we clearly have historical interest as a result of these films. And that is translated into use of these films in classrooms of all different age levels all different subject areas even beyond history which which might be surprising to you but something that i found really cool when we were researching this episode is Something that I didn't know before, back in 2004, prior to the original film's release, Walt Disney Pictures actually partnered with a group called Learning Works to develop a program of classroom materials that could be used from grades four through twelve. And those materials were designed to use the history in the film or the plot points in the film to support national history standards at that time. It was sort of to get into what primary sources are and, you know, having fun puzzles and projects that kids could do in the classroom to get them interested. It was really interesting because there's a whole packet of these materials online and we'll actually share that packet with you on our twitter account this week so check out at podcast for for that in case you're interested in taking a look but
1: you don't be have to be in grades 4 through 12 to learn we no, can all I, learn i admittedly
0: learned a thing or two from the packet
1: <laughs> as did i
0: but it was cool because it, there was a focus here on helping students interpret primary resources on in-classroom activities. There was even a virtual treasure hunt for students on the original National Treasure website. So there was a lot- Which, by
1: the way, incidentally, can I just say the National Treasure website is not available anymore, at least when I tried to click on it. So this virtual treasure hunt for students on the National Treasure website, I don't know if it's accessible to us anymore.
0: I guess not, but I, I, I'm going to call you out and guess that you were looking because you wanted to take the virtual treasure hunt.
1: Of course I did. Why would I not <laughs> want to take the virtual treasure hunt? We're in quarantine. There's not real treasure hunts I can go on. That's true. I can't argue with that. But the final piece
0: of this packet that they put together, which I found most exciting, was that when the movie was coming out, Walt Disney Pictures hosted a student writing contest where you know there were a few different writing prompts related to history and they chose three winners one from each sort of grade bracket and the winners got to bring two classmates and an adult (laughs) to washington (laughs) dc on an all-expense paid trip to take behind the scenes tours of the national archives and the bureau of engraving and printing
1: oh my gosh how much would you have loved to have been one of those winners or the classmate of one of those winners?
0: Again, it's just another reason where we really missed out, M. I I mean, we could have been those students. We were, you know, we were students at the right time. So We just didn't
1: know. It's, we're we going to blame know. our parents. They didn't tell us.
0: And teachers. Parents and teachers. And
1: teachers. Parents and teachers, we love you. But also, why did you not tell us that there was an essay writing contest for National Treasure?
0: Yeah. So that contest and the details can be found in that packet that we'll share, but just a little bit more info on the different activities in that packet, since I'm sure a lot of you are wondering how in the world could they have translated this fictional film into a packet of educational material? There were actually pretty cool activities. The first one examines the importance of symbols and symbology uh, in film as well as in U.S. history, and even on the dollar bill. Something that I learned from this packet, for example, (laughs) is the fact that the number 13 It appears multiple times in the symbols on the back of the $1 bill that Ben Gates' grandfather shows him at the very beginning of the movie. And it shows 13, you know, not because Taylor Swift or anything, there's no (laughs) relevance there, but rather because of the importance of 13 in U.S. history, for example, with the 13 original U.S. colonies. So take take a look at the packet, maybe you'll learn something. Just another quick aside, the other activities include a crossword puzzle about U.S. landmarks, and it sort of asks students to draw a postcard of a historical or local landmark in their city. But then also, interesting, because of our episode that focused on the Ottendorf cipher, they explain the Ottendorf
1: cipher in this packet. and And I didn't even think to look there when I was doing my research.
0: Well, here you go. They basically taught students how to use the cipher in both directions and subsequently had students compare Jefferson's original draft of the declaration to what the final version ended up being, which was apparently changed multiple times by like John Adams and Ben Franklin and other people prior to the signing.
1: Oh, wow. Well, speaking of signing, I actually also noticed that there was a part, and I'm assuming this was probably for maybe the fourth and fifth graders where you could actually sign the Declaration of Independence, which I don't know about you, but I just thought was super sweet.
0: Really sounds like something that Ben Gates would have appreciated, for sure. Oh,
1: he would have signed (laughs) that and hung it on his wall.
0: I think that's probably true. Uh, (laughs) But (laughs) beyond this packet that Walt Disney Pictures put together, there have been so many creative efforts by teachers all around the country who have put together additional online resources that have used the National Treasure film and follow-up assignments for in the classroom, out of the classroom, that all accomplish various learning objectives. And I found this really fascinating because The one thing that you might think of education-wise when you think about this film, if you're not thinking about, you know, Ben Gates' very detailed educational pedigree himself, you might be thinking about the fact that this could be used for history standards, such as historical comprehension or chronology or analysis and interpretation, but there are other standards that teachers have been able to use the film for as well, such as communication, like reading comprehension, critiquing, how to do research, how to communicate different information, etc. Mm-hmm. There are also projects here related to teamwork and and respect, or you can look at the film and analyze how Ben Gates, Abigail, and Riley worked together as a team and how they may or may not have treated each other with respect in different parts of the film. We've commented on this before. <laughs> uh, and, of course, there's also just the general area of social studies, so understanding cause and effect, or civics and types of government and how to use data especially when it comes to, you know, forming societies and governing those societies, etc.
1: Yeah. And something that I found that I, I think probably would have been used probably like an English class based uh, kind of curriculum is these types of character analyses that they did. So kind of like you mentioned about how Abigail Riley and Ben, I was just going to call him Nick, um, interacted with <laughs> Interacted with one another, um, really kind of digging into what parts of their characters really stood out and the strengths and weaknesses of them as characters. And then something that reminded me a little bit, Aubrey, of a class that we took in college called CIE, or the Common Mm -hmm. Intellectual Experience. Shout out Ursinus! Was that they had, they could also do ethical analysis. So there's literally a writing prompt that I found that is entitled The Ethics of Stealing. And it goes along with a discussion about the pros and cons of stealing the Declaration of Independence. Now, I don't know whether or not this was made because people were actually concerned that someone might consider stealing the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> or if it was just simply to talk about the ethics of the situation, probably the latter. And then something else I saw, actually, which surprised me, was how it can be used in math classes. So- math? Yeah. yeah. So I found it actually, this is in a textbook about kind of creative ways to teach mathematics. They uh, suggested having students go on a treasure hunt in order to learn different aspects of math. The students are actually split into teams and each student has to collect a certain amount of treasure to win the game. So either they have to solve clues to find the treasure or the treasure is their reward for getting like math problems correct. But they actually suggested specifically something along the lines of setting up the games in order to emphasize the exchange of units, like tens and hundreds. So you can imagine monetary costs and needing to keep track of those types of things. I have to say that I think something like this would have been useful when I was learning unit conversions for like grams to kilograms and liters to milliliters and stuff like that, I definitely would have learned it a lot faster if I were playing a National Treasure Treasure Hunt to go along with it.
0: It's like Monopoly, but instead of being the hat or the dog or whatever, you could be Ben Gates, Riley Poole, or Abigail Chase.
1: Exactly. And And
0: here's the the big question for you, Em. If you were playing such a national treasure monopoly, which, if that hasn't been done, we should probably do that.
1: Just get on it.
0: We should. Um, But if you were playing such a game, who would you be? Would you be your favorite character, Riley Poole, or would you be the highly educated, very respectable female lead of Abigail Chase?
1: See, you put me in a difficult position here, I especially because after that last episode where we talked about the treatment of women in uh, National Treasure and the Da Vinci Code, you have me kind of wanting to really buy for the women here. I have to say that I would probably still go with Riley just because it's Riley, and mm-hmm. I would hope that uh, the loving and understanding person that Abigail is would be able to accept that choice that I was making and not take offense to it as a blow to her femininity.
0: Eloquently put, I don't know what to say besides that. You've taken this thought experiment and put a lot of thought (laughs) into the experiment. Uh, Okay, well, getting back on track here, it is the case that Teaching materials exist online for students ranging from fourth grade all the way through college, where National Treasure is involved, but it does seem to be that middle school coursework is the most common when it comes Mm -hmm. to using these films in the classroom, and this is entirely the thing I'm about to say is entirely based on my opinion but I think it makes some sense this might have something to do with the fact that U.S. history government and civics are commonly taught in U.S. schools in the middle school age range Um, Mm,
1: that's true yeah you don't really find you find college classes that are more specific about certain types of history but definitely not on broad-based U.S. history where I think these movies would probably be the most applicable
0: yeah, yeah, I think that's the case. And so, if you do a quick Google search of National Treasure in the classroom, one of the first things that's going to come up in your search feed is all different worksheets and exercises. Some of which we'll go into in a little bit more detail in just a moment. The ones that we thought were really cool. But you know what else you're going to find, Emily? What's that? You're going to find some quizzes. Mm. And so, Indeed. you know what I thought. You know what I thought would be really fun, Emily?
1: What's that? I wonder
0: I, I thought it'd be really fun to give you a quiz right here on the podcast. Oh boy, yeah,
1: how fun and guys, yeah. I would just like you to note that on our shared Google document, Aubrey has written in all caps, Emily don't ruin it by looking at it in advance. I'm warning you in big, bold capital letters, so
0: well, I um i I want to see how your, if you would pass this national treasure quiz that could be for a middle schooler, okay?
1: Spoiler alert, I don't think I'm going to.
0: Well, I picked questions that, there are some harder ones than what I chose. Things with years and other dates, and I'm being nice. I picked ones that were sort of middle ground. But just remember, when you're feeling particularly good about yourself, that this quiz is for a middle schooler. Are you ready, Emily? (laughs) I am ready. Okay, so here's the other catch here. This is technically written as a multiple choice quiz, but just to up the ante a little bit, I'm not gonna give you the multiple choice answers and you have to just answer it.
1: Of course, why would you? That would be too simple.
0: So question number one, where does the first scene of the movie
1: take place? Technically in the attic of Benjamin's grandfather's house.
0: Which is in what city?
1: Philadelphia.
0: Nope, it's it's in Washington D.C. Okay. Did they tell us that? They did. It's in the little text at the bottom.
1: Oh well, that assumes that I'm reading during the movie.
0: Well, that's not even. It doesn't even require that you have the subtitles on. So that really is just an error on your part. Okay. Question number two. When Riley sees a dead body on the Charlotte, what did Ben say to him? You love quotes, so this should be easy. And if you don't know, I will read you the options for this one.
1: I don't know.
0: Okay. Is the answer A, calm down? B, relax or go home? C, C, did you wet yourself? D, shh, did you hear that? Or E, well, you handled that well.
1: Ooh. I feel like I'm on, uh, who wants to be a millionaire right now? Uh, I have to say D and E are both seeming like probable probable choices here. I think I'm going to go with E. The did you you handled that well?
0: That is correct. Yes.
2: <laughs> but I would
0: also like you to know that in the process of reading you option D, I was reminded of a very memorable time when we were roommates in college where yeah. I woke you up with my sleep talking where I basically said
1: don't let them see you. Exactly. It was very creepy. And well, I was petrified. And you felt really bad the next morning. I just told that story very recently.
0: Oh, well, here we are. I'm telling it again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Question number three What does Abigail collect in her office?
1: She collects campaign pins. Of who? George Washington.
0: Correct. Well done. Thank so you. you are two for three so far. Question number four, to access the preservation room, Ben needs Abigail's fingerprints. How does he get them?
1: He gives her a coin as a gift, and he puts some stuff on the coin that we're going to talk about in our science episode, so she touches the coin, and then, well, wait. Hold on, what was the question? How did he get her fingerprint? Or how yeah. did he get into the room?
0: How does he get her fingerprints?
1: Oh. So he gets her fingerprints by giving her a glass of champagne. And then he peels it off with like a piece of plastic. But he uses the other thing to get the password, which is Valley Forge, that he did type in.
0: That is correct. But you're really lucky you caught yourself, because I was about to give you a lot of flack. Because you were calling... The campaign button that you literally just identified in the previous question, a coin.
1: I saw somewhere that it was a coin and I was confused.
0: Well, it was the last campaign button. But regardless, you did get the question correct. Moving right along to number five. How much does Ben pay for the reproduction of the Declaration of Independence at the souvenir shop?
1: Oh gosh, you're going to kill me. Oh yeah. Because this is the... This is the- Big question that bothered Aubrey for years that we were finally able to answer. I want to say $13.50, but I feel like it was much more expensive than that.
0: Eh, it was $35.
1: $35. I had the three and, and the and five.
0: We take Visa.
1: We take Visa.
0: Okay, moving right along. Question number six. Where does Ben's father live?
1: Doesn't he live in Maryland? Like right outside DC? No. He lives in Philly. Oh, right.
0: Oh, my God. Okay. Next question.
1: I swear that I should be the other person hosting this podcast. (laughs) It doesn't seem like it right now, but I promise you, I do love these movies.
2: (laughs) It's okay.
0: You just have issues with chronology and maybe remembering a little bit, but it's fine. (laughs) Next question. What book? does Ben's dad keep money in?
1: It's not the Bible.
0: It's not the Bible.
1: Common sense? Yes! Really? Thomas Paine's common sense? That was a complete guess.
0: Well, well done.
1: Common sense, one could say I used.
0: Oh, punny. All right, next up. You only have three questions left.
1: Thank the Lord.
0: At what time of day does our trio see the, quote, timely shadow? This is all Riley. So you I know, this.
1: 222.
0: Is that your final answer? Yeah. You know, I'll give it to you because it's 222 on the bill, but then because of Riley, it's actually <laughs> 322.
1: I got confused about whether daylight savings time had started or ended. So I was going with the...
0: Well, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Although if I was a teacher grading this quiz, it would probably depend on my mood that day.
1: But I would also be actively watching the movie probably as I was filling out the quiz.
0: It's true. Depends how nice your teacher is. It's true. Your second to last question Who does Abigail say she's hiding from when she jumps over the counter at Reading Terminal Market?
1: Her ex boyfriend. Do
0: you want to alter that just a little bit?
1: Her fiance.
0: No, it's her ex husband
1: ex-husband. And
0: I cannot give you that one because her ex-boyfriend was one of the actual wrong answers listed.
1: Oh my gosh. I love that scene too.
0: I know, it's hilarious. Honey, I see why you left him. Yes. Last question. This is your opportunity to get a 60% instead of a 50%.
1: I mean, it's all like, I guess a 60 is a D?
0: Yeah. D minus, but
1: it's so it's, it might not be an F. Okay.
0: <laughs> and this last question also has to do with Riley. Are you ready? <sighs> okay. What percentage does Riley get from the discovery of the treasure?
1: 0.1%.
0: No! 0.5%. <laughs> <laughs> they collectively got 1% and they split it in half.
1: See, that's the problem is I just know too much about these movies that all of my knowledge about them is blending together to like change my answers. That's why I said 1350 instead of 35. That's why I said 0.1% instead of 0.5%. It's really honestly just because I know too much and my brain can't hold all of the information. That's why we're doing this podcast so I can get the information out to the people.
0: So that's why you got a 50% on this middle school quiz.
1: Yeah, I'm lucky I didn't <laughs> take this in middle school. That would have really brought down my GPA.
0: For sure. Well, okay, jokes aside, that was very fun for me. I'm not sure if it was fun I'm for glad Emily. it
1: was fun for you.
0: It was very fun for me. But jokes aside, that's the type of material that you might find when you're searching for national treasure classroom content. But there are some other really cool case studies about how these films have been used in the classroom. And so we're just going to highlight a few. Maybe you used or were taught using one of these case studies in your classroom or when you were a student. And so if so, please reach out to us to tell us about your experience. We would love to hear about it. And what's really, I think, most fascinating here is the fact that there are ESL worksheets, so for students for whom English is their second language, and it helps them follow the movie in terms of chronology, comprehension, they go into numbers, and even retention of, of plot points such as the character names. So we have all sorts of uses of comprehension sheets for the National Treasure films, but can I just sidebar really quick? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, this just like, I had a thought. I'm plagued now by these, these memories of having to watch movies in school and having to do worksheets that go along with them. And Emily, did you ever have any teachers who would put the questions on the sheet out of order?
1: I had sheets that were out of order. My theory was that the teachers didn't put them on out of order, but that the teachers just found them on some website and printed them out and didn't take the time to make sure that they were in order.
0: Okay, so those. Which made it worse. It stressed me out so much, especially if it wasn't clear that they were going to be out of order. If it was clear, then that was a little less bad. But when it wasn't clear that they were going to be out of order or, like, just one question was was out of order. And then that just messes up your watching of the whole rest of the movie and filling out the whole rest of the sheet. And, oh, my God, I hated it.
1: Yeah, it's like you miss one and then you miss five. Exactly. Okay. There's no in-between.
0: We're on the same page here and I'm glad to hear it, but I still have vivid memories of this. Anyway, um, so some other examples that we thought were really cool of case studies of classroom use of the films. One of them that I found was a web quest. So the teacher basically asked the students to watch the film and they also received a worksheet with questions, but the questions weren't going to be answered by the film. The questions were basically prompted by the film and it required students to basically use online or print resources to find the answers. So it kind of teaches them researching skills, which I thought that was pretty cool.
1: Oh yeah, that would have been super helpful. For sure.
0: Then there's a a cool example I found from public schools in Newark, New Jersey. This is back from 2008, but I found it because I guess the project was such a success that there was a news article about it. Mm -hmm. And these schools developed a virtual treasure hunt for their fifth grade students. And so it was just a series of history and social studies challenges and puzzles that required the students to, you know, in order to solve them, they had to be Able to research online and type and do all sorts of analytical stuff. And there were sidebar aspects to this project where they had almost like a message board where they had to communicate weekly updates on their treasure hunt to the other students. And the part about this that I thought was the coolest was the fact that some students doing this project ended up contacting descendants of a Declaration of Independence signer. What? Yeah, so apparently one of the signers from New Jersey was this man named John Hart, and the students ended up having a conversation with those those descendants, so that's cool.
1: That's super cool. I bet Uh, that guy loved getting all those phone calls from those kids that were, like, interested in knowing about his family history.
0: For sure. I mean, talk about immersive learning. That is pretty much, I would think, the definition. Another interesting example is one that Emily and I both did a lot of reading on because it was really in-depth. It was a project that a student named Beth Carini who, based on the context of this paper that we found online, it seems like she was probably a college student uh, learning to be a teacher, and in around 2007-2008, she developed A project that was meant to be applied, I guess you could say, in an honors ninth grade civics class. So she was, I guess the better way to put this is she was taking a class herself called Teaching American History. Mm -hmm. And she put this in-depth project proposal together that was based on national treasure and it was a project for ninth graders to do. Do you want to talk a little bit about the project?
1: Yeah. So it was actually, as Aubrey said, it was a really in-depth project. It had multiple steps to it. And, I mean, students learn everything, honestly, from finding out more information about the Freemasons and the Foundling Fathers, which, coincidentally, we will also be doing on Deep Dive episodes, um, to watching the movie. They had to take notes on the facts of the movie, And then research them to see if they were real facts. And one of the things that I thought was really cool was kind of this quote that I found. Of course, I found a quote from her lesson plan, I guess you could call it. And she says, quote, we cannot always believe the information contained in movies, even if they are based on historical events or figures to truly gain understanding and context in which to place the movie. Research must be conducted before an opinion on the validity of the story is formed. And I just thought that that was really interesting, especially going back to that point, Aubrey, that you brought up at the beginning of the episode where the cast is saying how they hope students don't believe, you know, what they're teaching them in the movie and stuff. What Beth really did here was took that idea and kind of flipped it and forced students to asked these questions and almost in a way to force them to be historical detectives and, you know, really look into this even further.
0: Yeah. And in the end, they were asked to produce their own short film about what they learned to basically uncover what is fact and what is fiction. So that seems like a really cool project that I certainly would have enjoyed doing when I was in ninth grade.
1: Oh, yeah. If my ninth grade honors class did that, I would have had a lot more fun in history, <laughs> literally in history and in history class. Fair enough. But speaking of criticizing
0: or being critical or analytical of Facts being presented in movies. There are also some teachers who have advocated for using the National Treasure film prior to actually teaching anything about the Declaration of Independence. And then using the viewing of the film as somewhat of a a springboard or a launch pad to discuss with the students all of the liberties that the movie does take with history. So talking about what is fact and what is fiction. And then Another question that they can ask the students in this conversation, which I think is maybe for a little bit higher level of student audience, so maybe we're talking high school here instead of middle school, but asking the students then why they think the writers needed to embellish history so much to even create the film.
1: Mm, That is a good question.
0: I'm sure that's something we could dedicate literally an entire episode to if we wanted to. So
1: yeah, now now that you've brought it up, I'm kind of thinking of it and kind of trying to answer the question for myself, yeah. it's it is an interesting question. Let us know your thoughts. I also found that some people kind of use the film. So you know, when you have a substitute teacher that comes in and they don't really <laughs> know like the lesson plan or anything like that, they were just like called in that morning. And you need something to do that, like, is mildly related to the subject you're in, but isn't great. And they just show you a movie.
0: And it's usually, well, when we were kids, it was usually Bill Nye.
1: It was always Bill Nye in science class, for sure. I would have loved to have a substitute teacher that came in and showed me National Treasure. I have to say. I actually found a few quizzes and worksheets, not too unlike uh, the quiz that Aubrey so kindly gave to me. But these quizzes and worksheets, it was really clear that it was just making sure that the students were like paying any sort of attention to the (laughs) movie whatsoever. They were not in-depth questions. My favorite question that I found is, what does Ben do to John Boyd? So first of all, let's just break down that question. Okay. So what does Ben do to John Voigt? Why are we using John Voigt's name instead of Nick Cage's name? Why can't we say what does Ben do to his father? What does Ben do to Patrick? But no. What does Ben do to John Voigt specifically? Can I, just,
0: can I just chime in here and say that as a student, I would not have known John Voigt's name?
1: I would not have either. I feel like the teachers might have. True. I might have known Nick Nick Cage's name. <laughs> but I definitely would not have known the name John Boyd. So I would have been like, who are you even talking about? Maybe this was a harder quiz than we actually thought it was. Maybe a secret quiz for some type of cinematography course where they're learning about actors and stuff. Anyway, it was a multiple choice question and the answers were equally as funny. The first was, does he lock him in a closet? (laughs) Um, I mean, he doesn't because what the question fails to point out is that he is his father. That might be a little much. The second point, we got really extreme, and we want to know if he drugs him, which I, yeah, I'm just going to leave that there. <laughs> the third one proposes violence, where we ask, does <laughs> Ben knock John Voight over the head? Which, well, 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 to be fair, John Voight does
0: get knocked over the head in the second National Treasure movie.
1: By Nick Cage?
0: No, by Mitch.
1: So Ben didn't do it to John Boyd.
0: No, but I mean, if you're a fan of the films, maybe you would have gotten confused. Maybe this is one of those so-called trick questions, but go on.
1: Well, the final one uh, is the one that seems the most tame, really, uh, and is the correct answer, which just ties him up with tape, which I should point out, because I don't think we talked about this at all in our commentary episode, is quite an extreme response still. (laughs) Especially for your father. It's definitely the least extreme of these options. But my dad would be pretty annoyed with me if I did that to him.
0: If you did that to your dad because the alternative was him being thrown in FBI custody for aiding your federal crime, I don't think your dad would have
1: minded it so much. That's true. I didn't think about (laughs) it like that. Well, Well, anyway, that was our section on what Ben does to John Boyd. And. (laughs) Enjoy.
0: So that's fun. I have nothing else to say about that. But the final way that we've found the film be used in in multiple cases is sort of as a treat for the students because the film's themes are consistent with the year's coursework. And to explain this point, we have a very special treat for you. And that is a very brief interview with my mom. As it turns Mm -hmm. out, my mom, June Paris, is a teacher in middle school, and she also happens to be a National Treasure superfan. So, unsurprisingly. Wonder where you got yet, it from, Aubrey. I mean, we do have a family tradition of when we saw both of the films, it was in theaters on Christmas. So, mm. it's a family thing. But in any case, because she is a fan, she has unsurprisingly found a way to incorporate national treasure into her history class. So take a listen. So why don't we start off by you telling us what grade and what class you teach?
2: Sure. I teach sixth grade, and that's a middle school situation where I teach And I teach what I call ancient civilizations, otherwise known as social studies.
0: Awesome. So we know that you yourself are a National Treasure fan, but that you also have taken the opportunity to show National Treasure to your students. So when did you start showing these films to your students?
2: Oh my goodness. It's been such a long time. I have to say it's 10 or more years ago.
0: <laughs> wow that's pretty impressive And you, you show both films
2: absolutely
0: cool how would you say you use the films in your classroom so maybe when and in what context do you play them
2: okay well being a school teacher in school you're uh, to show any movies they have to somehow relate to your curriculum uh, to be able to show them and national treasure uh, it, it encompasses everything it's archaeology it's uh, you know the study of you know digging up things finding the facts finding the puzzle pieces following the trail it deals with history with uh, um, national treasure one the first one I mean it dates back to you see the pyramids you know things like that and I teach Egypt and about all the different treasures so uh, at the end of the year uh, to wrap up the year of teaching, and as a reward to the students, we watch National Treasure One and National Treasure Two uh, because of all the history that's embedded
0: in it. <laughs> that's so awesome. Why do you personally like showing the films to your students?
2: Well, because of all the action. The kids are on the edge of their seats, there's never a dull moment, there's a lot of history embedded in it, you know, um, it's just fun. And I think the actors do a great job, you know, with the, the comedy aspect of it. It's appropriate for the students. Um, I don't find it offensive in any way. You know, there's a lot of films out there today that I would never even dare, you know, show show my students. But this is totally, it's clean, it's good. Love them.
0: So you mentioned that your students seem to like them as much as you do. Have their reactions changed at all over the years? You know, if you started showing these films 10 years ago up until now, I wonder, are they familiar with the movies? Are they, you know, reacting differently than they than they did 10 years ago?
2: Well, I think uh, 10 years ago they were a little bit more familiar with them as opposed to now uh, they are not as familiar with them. So they're more intrigued by them, I guess you could say.
0: And I have to ask... Do you have a favorite, National Treasure 1 or National Treasure 2?
2: I love them both. I mean, number two deals with the Mayas, the Aztecs, you know, ancient Indians, basically. And I love that. That was a study of mine in college. But uh, I think National Treasure 1 is the better of the two films.
0: What about your students? Do they seem to have a preference?
2: I think they like the first one better also.
0: Interesting. Um, all right. Well, is there anything else you would like to add to the conversation?
2: I have been waiting forever for National Treasure 3. I sure hope they could somehow pull that together and get the whole cast back together again. Uh, it's just great. It's just fun. It's great entertainment. Uh, and I love it. You know, they explore different parts around around the country. National National Treasures. quite honestly, a great title for it because all the places they take you to are quite historic and quite important to our country. So I'd love to see him do it again.
0: Well, we agree with you there. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. So there are a couple of points here from this interview with my mom that I just want to perhaps elaborate on a little bit really quickly before we finish up the episode. The first is the fact that she points out something that I hadn't really noticed before talking to her, which was that between the two films, National Treasure and National Treasure 2 Book of Secrets, there is a lot of fodder for history teachers to play with here, kind of regardless of what aspect of history you teach. So Mm -hmm. think think of it this way. In the first movie, we have aspects of both U.S. history and world history. On the U.S. history front, we obviously have the American Revolution and the Founding Fathers and the Declaration of Independence. So U.S. history classes, civics classes, government classes, all fair game here. But then on the world history side of things, we have the immense history of the treasure and how it dates back to Egypt and the Temple of Solomon, etc. cetera. And in the second film, which we're obviously not talking about right now, we've mentioned it several times at this point that we're hoping to focus on the second film for a second season of this podcast. <laughs> but to whet your appetite, and if you haven't seen the film, In the second movie, we do have, again, a U.S. history component here. It's the Civil War. So, fodder for those classes. Whereas on the world history side, we have aspects about Queen Victoria and various Native American civilizations, such as the Olmec. So, a lot to work with here if you're a history teacher. And I would encourage, based on my extremely biased view of these films... (laughs) I would advocate for more history teachers using it, especially because on my mom's, you know, use of these films for 10 years in the classroom, it seems that students really like it. So the last thing, though, is you you might have noticed that she said nowadays when she shows the movies The students haven't even heard of these movies before, and oh my god, how sad is that?
1: What are their parents showing them at home, (laughs) is my question. When they have family movie nights, what movies are they watching if it is not these?
0: Well, but this is a whole different generation of students now. I mean, these films came out in 2004 and 2007, and we're in 2020. We're talking films that have aged well through time in terms of their entertainment value and the fact that people are still watching and tweeting about them today. But just mind-blowing that these students are sometimes seeing these movies in my mom's class for the first time. But also really nice to see that they still like them just as much as they did when they came out. So Yeah.
1: And something that I want to say here, you know, your mom mentioned it too, is that the movies themselves aren't super problematic. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was really interesting for her to say because I, of course, I haven't thought about it from that perspective. And I'm sure that we could go into it and we could find all of the different ways, right, in which the movies are problematic. And we started to touch on, you know, a few brief points here and there where things, you know, may have been able to be treated with a little more care. But I think, on the whole, as compared to some other movies that were made around the early 2000s, this definitely is one of the ones that is held up and isn't, it's not super embarrassing to look back on. And I thought that that was just a really interesting point that she brought up.
0: For sure. I think the most embarrassing point was probably the the flip phones.
1: Yeah, definitely the flip phones.
0: Well, I don't think we could go much more in depth than that on this topic, Emily. So on that note, we really hope you learned a thing or two about learning a thing or two using the National Treasure franchise. And maybe you've had some experience with National Treasure in the classroom yourself, again, as a teacher or as a student. Tell us about it. Reach out to us on Twitter or Instagram using at NTHuntPodcast. And I think, uh, do you have any parting words today, Emily? Would you like to defend yourself one more time on failing our, our quiz?
1: I think Aubrey purposely went through and chose the questions that were the most difficult. And I will remind you all that I am a venerated host of this show and do deserve to be here. I hope that I haven't lost any (laughs) of your respect for my position here. And uh, please continue to stick with us as we look forward at our next episode, which is actually taking a deep dive on the Founding Fathers and the Declaration of Independence which is some history that I will be able to do some research on and have some notes on and be able to talk about. So it won't be a pop (laughs) quiz type of thing. So tell your friendly neighborhood history teacher, maybe they can even use our episode in their classroom.
0: Yes, definitely check back for that. Our next episode on the founders and the declaration is coming your way in two weeks time again every other Wednesday you're going to be getting content from us on Spotify iTunes or wherever you get your podcast so until then I'm Aubrey and I'm Emily and thank you for joining us on our national treasure hunt